the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images, since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes they will again be used. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out, because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes, they rob them of their inheritance. Therefore the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people, from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of God, the Lord, to divide the land by lot. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the ones who are, whose ways are upright? Lately my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place. Because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. I know what you're thinking. I'm glad I'm not in his shoes. You know, this is a full-on passage, isn't it? That's quite a lot to take on. And uh, what? Uh, um, firstly, good, af- good afternoon. Uh, my name is Ollie, and I'm associate vicar here. And welcome to those of you here, and welcome to those of you online. And um, what a difference uh, a week makes. I don't know if you were here last week. Maybe you were in a church somewhere else around the country. It was Easter. We were celebrating Easter, celebrating the joy of the resurrection and the, all the fullness of life that comes from all those who get to know Jesus. 
And um, it is a service of great celebration last week. And now we're reading a passage from the book of Micah that is speaking about sin and impending judgment on God's people. And that feels like quite a big, big leap from last week. And it's tempting. Uh, I don't know, when I was reading this passage first, to say um, it's tempting to stay in the place of last week and accept, you know, where we can happily accept God's forgiveness and to avoid difficult Old Testament passages like this. However, I just want to encourage us as we start that there is great value in, um, in learning to, to hold these two uh, things together, these amazing biblical truths together. The first is that um, the, the cost of sin is, is so much greater than we, than we can imagine. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, today. Uh, but also, God so loves us that he's made a way for our sin to be paid through his son, Jesus, on the cross. And that is what we were celebrating um, last week. And the book of Micah, though it is written 700 years um, before the birth of Jesus, has a lot to teach us today about the extent God loves us and his people. And he longs for the damage that sin has caused his people and us to be dealt with. So over the next seven weeks, we'll wrestle with this book as we are told that the sin of idolatry and oppression is very much real and the judgment is inevitable, but hope and restoration is coming. We've got to hold on to that. And I can't, though, I can't promise you that this is going to be uh, the easiest series you're going to hear. And, it's, and, it, and actually, it's not written to be like that. This is a book about the inevitable consequence of judgment uh, to, for oppressors, for evil, for mistreatment of others, of misuse of money, of injustice and abandonment. It has all that going on in this one book. But I just want to encourage you, don't shut down out of fear or frustration or fatigue. Um, keep in mind that God's way of, of, keep in mind God's way of bringing restoration. And that restoration comes often through rebuke. Uh, this is how it works often in reality as well. You just have to look at everyday life to know that when there is a problem, things tend to get worse before they get better. The, the life-saving cure follows the diagnosis of something life-threatening. And so as we go through this book, the cure wonderfully comes. It doesn't come necessarily this week, but it does come. Restoration will follow rebuke. Okay, so we can hold on to that, uh, onto that truth. And um, I do encourage you to grab your little books. Maybe you can write in them, bring them back with you each week. They've got little areas for your sermon notes where you can write, write, draw, and dream. This is not an opportunity to have a little nap halfway through the service. Or a little dots there. You, this is not also an opportunity to play that little um, that game. What is that game with the little boxes? Is it just called boxes? It's called boxes. Um, don't play that. Um, you can um, you know, watch your neighbor and make sure they're not playing that. So um, do take it. You even write your name on it. That's just very nice. You can do that. So let's, let's start at the beginning. Verse 1, chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reign of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So, to start with, 
In other prophetic writings that we discover in the Old Testament, like the book of Amos, for example, the book begins by saying, the word of Amos. But here it is saying the word of the Lord. And Micah, right from the beginning, is wanting his listeners and us today to just take particular attention that this is God's word being spoken through the prophet of Micah. And the Lord is speaking to the, the people of the nation of Israel, and which has been split into two different kingdoms. We've got the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital, Samaria, and we've got the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital, Jerusalem. And Micah, he begins by speaking about the impending judgment that is to come on God's people as they will soon be taken over by the neighboring nations of Assyria, and then a little later on, again, by the larger nation of the Babylon. So we've got to start by saying, you know, why is God so angry? What's this all about? <clears throat> well, for over 500 years, God's people have walked away from their covenant with him. And they have fallen into idolatry, and they've fallen into oppression of his people. This is what we see in, those, in these chapters. So the chapter opens, and this is my first point, is with confronting idolatry. Confronting idolatry. And this is just two points today. This is the first one. So the passage tells us in verse 3, The Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. Now, the high places uh, were places where that pagan, um, pagan worship uh, and God uh, it was kind of places of pagan worship. And God is warning that in verse 7, all her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Now, the very existence of high places is the key to, to understanding the book of Micah and all that's kind of gone wrong with, uh, with Israel and Judah. God's people were told to worship God in Jerusalem where the temple of God and his presence were. But instead of that, they have chosen to worship God in different places, elsewhere. And not only that, they've also chosen to worship someone else. Not Yahweh, but going after carved images, after idols. Now, I read this quote from a theologian on this passage uh, that I found helpful. He said this, If people choose to worship God in a way that is different from the one he sets out, or she sets out, very soon they will choose to worship a God who is different from the one who is real. Let me say that again. If people choose to worship God in a way that is different from the one he sets out, very soon they will choose to worship a God who is different from the one who is real. And I just, I just think that's so, that happens so often, doesn't it? We, we, if we're not worshiping God, we will worship something. There's something in us desiring us to worship something. Um, David Foster Wallace was regarded one of the most popular writers of his generation and he was not religious uh, and he and he now gave a, a famous speech in Kenyon College Ohio which he said this and I've got it on the screens he said this everybody worships the only choice we get is what to worship and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much everything else will eat you alive if you worship money and things 
If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power. You'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb your, your fear, of your, um, to, uh, to feel your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. The tragic thing about this quote is that David Foster killed himself in September 12, 2008. Everybody worships. And there are countless things that fight every day for our attention. The worship of wealth, influence, romance, power, control, approval, comfort. But our passage makes it very clear that unless our worship is limited, uh, primarily focused on its creator, then it is an idol and it's heading for destruction. And we shouldn't miss a scale of judgment directed to God's people. It's pretty graphic, some of the images that were read to us. It involves mountains melting and valleys splitting. Cities becoming heaps of rubble and laying bare their foundations. Yeah, maybe you're hearing that. You think, that just seems a little bit harsh, a bit severe. Maybe you think, as long as people engage in good things, why should God come down so strongly and judge his own people like that? And the reason this is maybe quite a difficult passage to talk about is that many of us have been brought up to find the idea of God's judgment difficult, unappealing. You know, I resonate with that. Yeah, take me back to the Easter morning, for we like to hear about the mercy, forgiveness, and grace that comes with following Jesus. But not his judgment, his wrath, his anger. That doesn't feel good. But the Bible clearly teaches us that the God of mercy, forgiveness, grace, and love is at the same time the God who demonstrates anger and shows judgment against those who, who commit adultery. So we, we need to ask ourselves uh, which, these kind of questions. How can I reconcile anger of God with the love of God? How can I reconcile judgment with justification? How can I reconcile God's fury against his own people and grace? How, how is it possible? Are these all kind of incompatible? Well, the preacher and author, Becky Manley Pippert, she talks about how all loving persons are sometimes filled with anger, not just despite their love, but because of their love. And the problem, she says this, and again on the screen, she says, is the modern readers tend to be influenced by their own responses when analyzing God's, including his wrath. 
It is their own anger, their own irritability, their own wrath, their own fury, pettiness, and jealousy that they imagine. And this becomes a problem when analyzing God's anger and judgment. So if they are petty and emotionally lash out and explode on someone with unrighteous anger, well, they think that is how a wrathful God responds to us. The Bible, however, doesn't teach that God responds with unrighteous anger, but rather with righteous anger. And she goes on to say, think of how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with, with, with benign tolerance as we might towards a stranger? Far from it. We are dead against whatever is destroying the one we love. I think maybe a way to illustrate this is to suppose that you have a loved one, a friend, a sibling, a parent, you know, who, who's addicted to drugs. And you can see how that addiction is ruining their life. And they're going down a path of destruction that ultimately it will ruin their career and destroy their future. And would you come alongside them with benign tolerance and say, you know, it's, it's probably not a good idea for you to do this. Your life is really quite complicated because of it. I'm just suggesting that it might not be a bad option to abandon this path. And then if they responded by saying, oh, no, it's not a problem at all. Uh, it's just recreational. I'm not actually addicted to this. This is not something you need to worry about. I am perfectly fine. And you know, revealing to you that they are in complete denial about what is going on. Would you then say to them, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to offend you. I just wanted to suggest a different path because, you know, you could possibly consider. But you do whatever seems, you know, right for you. You follow your own path. I want to suggest that if you love someone, truly love someone, that you would respond differently. You know, maybe you would be shaking them. Do you know what you're doing to yourself? You've got to change this direction. You've become less and less yourself every single time I see you. You know, you're, you're, you're not angry when, because you hate that person, are you? You're angry because you care, because you love them. You could walk away, but love despises what destroys those we love. And as my, my children go up, I am just more and more aware of uh, the ways that they can, the, the ways they can mess things up and mess themselves up the older they get. When they're younger, they're kind of protected, but the older they get, it just, there's more things out there. They can worship idols that can really lead them down dark paths, at the, while at the same time, the world is cheering them on. But real love stands against the deception, the lies that destroys. So when we see a passage like this, displaying God's wrath and his anger against sin, don't be put off by it. Because in it, we are also seeing a picture of God's love as he sees the wounds of his people, and he's so moved to stop it. 
just like a loving parent who doesn't want to see their children engage in activity that will destroy them and hurt them. And they will go at extreme lengths to make sure that that would stop, if they, you know, whatever their, you know, in their power to do so. In a similar way, in this book, God is opposing his people to remove their idols and return to him so that they will not be left with the idols that will destroy them and along with them at his final judgment. So how do we apply some of this quite heavy stuff to ourselves? Um, well, we tend, I think it's helpful to know, that we tend, when we think of, of God's judgment, it's aimed at you know, the world. And there are occasions when it is, but you know, maybe those outside of the church. But it's really important for us to hear, to know that God's judgment in the Bible is normally directed to those professing to, to be his people, to be people you know, within the church here. Because it's very possible to be born into a godly family or to those who do the right things and yet have lost, you know, have lost in idol worship and uh, have, in fact, no relationship with God whatsoever. The pastor and theologian Tim Keller, he writes this, The greatest danger, because it is such a subtle temptation, which enables us to continue as church members and feel that nothing is wrong. It's not that we become atheists, but that we ask God to coexist with idols in our hearts. So, are there some objects of worship, maybe that you're asking to coexist in your life, that you've added to your worship with God? Are you wanting to enjoy the benefits of knowing the Father and being loved by him and even loving him, but also wanting to be free to worship other things too because, you know, they, they make me feel happy? Well, according to God's word, this is idolatry and the Lord lovingly, this always comes with love, but firmly, as we are seeing in this passage, tells us to return to him right away as the cost of this way of living is higher than we can possibly know or imagine. So the first error that always speaks to his people is confronting idolatry. My second one is much shorter, and that is confronting oppression. Confronting oppression. We had the second uh, chapter in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read. It says this, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds, and morning's light they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. When we think uh, of oppression like this, maybe your mind automatically glows to some kind of caricature of, of evil and, uh, and those who are uh, just planning and plotting away in their bedrooms. And, you know, that, of course, these things happen. People, there are people who plot away evil and, and uh, oppression. You know, it says in those who plot evil in their beds, who defraud people of their homes. Yes, that happens. But I don't want us to gloss over because you think, well, I'm not that person. Because the passage is not limited to those more extreme cases. It's focused more on oppression that is subtle rather than, than blaringly obvious. In verse 2, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. 
you know, what is being described in this passage is, is perfectly legal. In ancient times, it was legal to, to take someone's field and, the, uh, and if they defaulted on a loan or their robe or their house or, or whatever, it was okay to take it. And verse 1 says, at morning light, they carried it out. Now, this was happening, you know, in daylight, in daytime hours. This wasn't behind, you know, nighttime, behind the, va- you know, alleys and dark, you know, darkness and, you know, plotting evil and doing things. This was within the daytime. It was perfectly legal within the lines of the law. And yet the Lord still chooses to call this oppression. And I just want to hear that this is not an attack on wealth or success. It, this isn't just a challenge to us to acknowledge the fact that our possessions often come at the expense of someone who lacks the advantages that we have. We can oppress someone without having an ounce of malice in our hearts. You know, this can, may make us feel uncomfortable, especially when gaining advantage, getting the top job at the expense of others is maybe the name of the game of our world. And our world would say, as it does in verse 6 of chapter 2, you know, do not prophesy. It's basically saying, do not preach such things. Disgrace is not going to overtake us. God doesn't care about this stuff. I'm not doing anything wrong. Doesn't God just really just want to, you know, make me happy anyway? He's just happy with that. If we believe this, then we don't really know much about the character of God. For God says in the next verse, verse 7, should you talk that way, O family of Israel? Will the Lord's Spirit have patience with such behavior? If you would do what is right, you would find my words comforting. You know, God cares about the decisions we make and how it impacts the lives of those he loves. He cares. So just, and I think this is just, you know, we're, all our circumstances are different. And I think maybe it's something we can think about over the next little while. But just because something is legal doesn't make it right. I may have the right and power to buy land or property or achieve wealth in certain ways. But am I defrauding someone of their possessions? Am I planning disaster against God's people? And I just invite you maybe to think about that. Are there areas in my life that maybe I need to reevaluate? that just because it's okay by the letter of the law, maybe it's not okay by God's word. Now, this is not, this is not an easy passage, and Micah was not written to suit those who want a comfortable, low-stress life. This is not the book for you. Um, he was preaching God's truth in a time that people were wanting someone to preach about. As we see in verse 11, he says, wine and beer and basically letting the good times roll. Doesn't that sound familiar? People don't want to hear about judgment and God's wrath. You don't want to hear that. We want to hear about, you know, the nice stuff. But as a church, we are to be those who hold on to God's word, who do what is right, as it says in this passage, because we know our treasures are not to be stored up in barns, but in the kingdom of heaven. That is what we are, uh, we are living for. So let us take the Lord. So sorry, let us ask the Lord. Want me to just take a moment? Ask the Lord to reveal in us, in His church, ways we are fueling oppression and injustice. And we need the Holy Spirit to kind of identify areas in our life. 
to help us to have a greater love for the poor, the powerless, not to turn a blind eye for our own peace of mind. And Lord, we just pray that you make that really clear to us, what areas that we need to change and transform. And we're going to have a moment to just continue in prayer in a moment. But I just want to finish by saying um, that not everything in the Old Testament is applicable to us. In Jesus Christ, a new way has been established. The wrath of God that broke out upon his people, as we see in this passage, um, has been visited once and for all in the person of Jesus. That is why we were celebrating so much last week. We can now live in the freedom that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. That is a joyful place to be. But I also just want us to encourage us, let us not allow this extraordinary gift of forgiveness and a future hope stop us from living the life that God has planned for us today. And it is through the gift of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost where we can ask the Lord to help us to, uh, to make those changes, to enable us to, uh, to allow Jesus to become even more beautiful than the idols that we are tempted to worship. And, you know, when you put them together, they, Jesus is so much more beautiful, but we are often deceived and lied about and believe that Jesus can't fulfill that way, can't fulfill in that, you know, those kind of pleasures. But I, I just want to encourage you, he, he is even more beautiful than the idols that we are tempted to worship. And we also need to grow in our faith that God's will for our lives is not about the pursuit of happiness that maybe we are told, but to be obedient to his word, which will be good to the one whose ways are upright. And like all areas of spiritual growth, uh, this it requires discipline. You know, a daily commitment to put God back on the throne. I have to do that. It's like a, I think you have to do that every day. This is what these people... Uh, God's people in this passage, they weren't doing. They forgot to put Jesus back on, God back on the throne, but to put him back on the throne. And then to be also to be rooted in the truth of the Bible. You know, this is God's truth. It is not always uh, the easiest to read, but it is God's truth, and we need to live by it. To make a priority to worship God on your own and within the wider church. And it's such a wonderful thing for us to gather here to worship. We gather again on our, on our um, home groups and risky groups. Encourage you to get into those. And we also, we gather, uh, um, you know, we, we were talking about our prayer meeting. Thank you so much, Jane, for speaking about that. And we worship together there and it's been so valuable. Worshiping together. Let's keep doing that. And allow us, Holy Spirit, to shape us to become the people we've been created to be. Because the Lord has great plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and to give you a hope and a future. Let me just pray for us as we, as we finish and we come in time of response. Actually, I'm going to invite you to stand. Won't we stand together? Lord Jesus, we just welcome you to meet with us today. We welcome your Holy Spirit to meet with us and to reveal your beauty to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
And we thank you for the, the kind of the, the warning and we recognize severity of sin and how damaging that is, how damaging it is to our relationship with you. And we just ask, Lord, uh, we thank you for your forgiveness and we just welcome that. But Lord, we ask that you would reveal in us any areas of sin, any areas of idolatry, any areas where I'm oppressing other people, any areas that I'm, that my actions are having an impact in, on my relationship with you or my relationship with my brothers and sisters around the world. Just reveal yourself to us. Let's just take a moment and just ask the Lord to, to reveal anything that he has for us today. And Lord, through your Holy Spirit, give us the, the strength and ability to be those who uh, are marked out, who look different, uh, who walk a different path, even though it may cost us everything on this earth. We know that it is good and it pleases you. Amen.